Today my guest is Lucy Cragg, Associate Professor in the Faculty of Science at the University of Nottingham. And in this episode we are discussing the development of cognitive control. Hello Lucy. Hi John. Um, Should we start by you giving us a bit of a primer about what we mean by cognitive control and how it relates to executive function or if it is executive functions? Yep, of course, absolutely. So I think you can pretty much use the two terms interchangeably, so cognitive control or executive function, and teachers might be more familiar with the term executive function. Um, So basically they describe the set of skills that we use to control and adapt our behaviour. So some people liken it to an air traffic control system or the conductor of an orchestra where you're um, drawing on the resources of the brain and kind of coordinating them to, um, to kind of serve to towards the goal that you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you think, for example, in the classroom, the teacher might give a child a task, the child's got to keep that goal, the task goal in mind, they've got to ignore any distractions that are going on, either internal or externally, that might distract them from that goal. And they've also got to be flexible and be able to adapt to their behaviour. So if, for example, a teacher, say a maths teacher, asked a child to solve a problem but didn't tell them exactly how, um, if a child was working towards a solution but wasn't getting anywhere, then they need to be able to kind of realise that and be flexible enough to switch and try a different approach. Mm. So these concrete, I mean, are there a number of processes that are concrete or is this just like a a maelstrom of different things that are happening in the brain? There's lots of things going on. Um, Lots of people split executive function down into three subgroups of processes, so working memory um, or updating, which is being able to hold information in mind and use that information, do something with it, Um, in your head or hold it there in the face of distraction so while something else is going on. Um, Another set of processes is inhibition. So this is ignoring distractions in all its forms, um, whether that be kind of um, information in the environment or in terms of suppressing responses um, or actions that aren't appropriate in that situation. And also, which I've alluded to, um, shifting or flexibility. So being able to shift between different processes. Um, so we know that these skills are very highly related, but they also um, can be partly separable. So some children might have good working memory, but slightly worse flexibility, say. Mm. And is it true what they say about working memory, memory, that you can hold five to seven things in there at any one time, or is that, is that a myth that's grown up? So that's a, a kind of rough um, guide on average, I suppose. So that would just be five unrelated items, so say ball, cup, um, dog, doll, spoon, for example, Mm. in the types of studies that psychologists use, they might give you lists of words like that. But that varies hugely. So um, a five-year-old, for example, might only be able to hold two items in their mind, and that develops right up until kind of the mid-teenage years. And within one classroom, there's like to be a huge amount of variation. So within an average um, kind of year four classroom, say, some children might be able to hold... Um, three or four pieces of information in mind. Some children might have working memory levels similar to a five-year-old, whereas some might be working, you know, kind of two or three, maybe up to adult levels of four or five items. And it depends if if those items are related um, that you're in memory, then you can hold much more in there because you can kind of chunk items together. So yeah. it's a rough rule of thumb, but there's lots of variation. I'm sure. And, and the other uh, in, in the inhibition and flexibility that you mentioned as well, does that get uh, impacted by other factors such as like emotion, um, home life, uh, experience? Yeah, I mean, there's all there's always going to be, there's always so much going on kind of internally and externally. Um, in terms of how it 
develop so we don't know kind of at an individual level how that's going to impact on say an individual's there's not that kind of rule of thumb mm. you know as to a six-year-old can ignore these many types of distractions or whatever but in a moment yeah different things are going to be of different importance to different people so um we all know for example that that calling your name is very distracting you know, to, to anybody that's going to leap out but then if something's um going on if something's particularly relevant to you in your life at the minute then that's going to be a lot more distracting to you than it might be to somebody else so it's quite um, a shifting, you, you, you haven't got a set ability for your executive functions, it's a very shifting ability. Well, maybe working memory has a more linear development, but perhaps the inhibition control doesn't. Yeah, so, so as a, a rough rule of thumb, as you get better, as you get older, you're going to get better at being able to ignore distractions. But it's not a, it's not a kind of maturational timetable, it's going to be affected by experience. Um, and all those kind of things, you know, practice at, at ignoring things is going to help you get better at ignoring those types of things, but it might not help across the board, for example. Mm. And when you're, um, so a child enters uh, school at four or five, where are they typically on, on, that, on that journey? Are, are they quite, are their executive uh, functions quite undeveloped at that point, or can it be quite variable? Yes, definitely. Well, it, it is quite variable, but as a general rule of thumb, there's quite um, a big increase in executive functions around the age of three to four. So you kind of get a sudden shift at that age where children become much more able to um, inhibit their, their actions in particular, and also much better at flexibly shifting um, between different things. So there's a very simple task that's been done if you ask if you show children coloured shapes, so you have a red dog and a blue car, and first of all you ask them to... Um, sort those cards by colour, so sort put all the red ones in one pile and all the blue ones in, in another pile. Three-year-olds can do that really well, but then if you ask them to shift and put the, um, I can't remember what example, so I get the dogs in one pile and the cars in another, three-year-olds just, just cannot do that. They cannot shift their attention, um, whereas four-year-olds are much more able to do that. And so you get that kind of shift around three or four, and then that continues to improve. Um, I'd say probably the ability to suppress a response or an inappropriate response develops a bit earlier, um, but then the ability to ignore kind of um, information in the environment, so sounds, noises, um, things suddenly you know popping up in front of you, that can take a lot longer to develop. Um, and executive functions really um, don't reach adult levels till adolescence. And so, when you're four or five, then how much of a you know if you're trying to give that child something that they they don't want, or uh, for example. Uh, there's an argument at the moment in EYFS that uh, a certain approach of teaching is not appropriate to the children because they're not interested in the topic. Is it actually quite hard then for those children or some of those children to to actually focus and, and not fall prey to, um, to distraction because of a lack of motivation or interest in a topic? Yeah, it would probably, it would certainly influence it. So children's attention is going to be driven by what they like. So I guess another way is if children are interested in it, Mm. then they're going to be, it's going to be easier for them to pay attention to it because they're not going to be distracted by other things. Um, so, yeah, I guess that, that probably would be true. Yeah, but as you get older, perhaps you, other motivations might come into play. So if you're a teenager, for example, and you, you find uh, a certain subject a bit boring, but you might see that the end goal is, 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 a, is an A grade or a grade nine as it is now, then would that outweigh the, the sort of enjoyment or the, um, the motivation there? Yes, so I guess this comes, it's related to executive function, but it's slightly different in terms of your, your goal priorities and your long-term thinking. So as we get older, we're much more able to, you know, our goal can be, can be further away in the future. Um, 
and we can work towards that longer goal whereas younger children that's much harder and you know kind of what's in the moment we're driven by try what's around us and the immediate stimuli so yeah as we get older we're much more able to kind of prioritize those bigger long-term goals over short-term gains and what happens in i mean what can happen in the development process where uh one of those areas or, or all of them might might be underdeveloped for the uh, age expectation i mean do we know uh, are there syndromes or you know is there is there a set pattern that certain people fall back in certain certain areas of executive function so um across a wide range there's not one so there's not one syndrome that's mm. a kind of well, in, in adults, it tends to be called disexecutive syndrome, where um, particularly somebody might suffer damage to a particular area of their brain, um, the frontal lobes, and, and show deficits in executive function. But in terms of developmental populations, actually, if you look at a whole range of developmental disorders, so autism, ADHD, um, specific learning difficulties, so dyslexia, um, mathematics learning difficulties, executive function difficulties are really common across all of these, um, all of these different disorders. Um, so, so they're really common in, in any kind of child that's having that's struggling in the classroom. There is likely to be some element of, of an executive function problem. So it's not it's not the cause of those problems, but it's a it's a it's a factor within each of those um, things you just described. Yes. So it's been for a long time. It was proposed as a main cause of of ADHD attention deficit disorder. So particularly a problem with inhibition. Uh, but we now know that there's there's a whole range of different difficulties that children with ADHD can have and executive function might be one of them and we're still I mean the causes of developmental disorders as a whole it's another issue so yeah it's it's like to be related but perhaps not a causal factor. And is there exacerbating factors I mean if you look at the, re, uh, the children who present with executive function uh, challenges are there any um, apart from maybe ADHD or dyslexia are there uh, social factors are there um, common factors when the problems arise i.e for dyslexia, for example, if, if, a, if a child reaches seven they, and they haven't responded to intervention, I believe now they, they, they look to see if it's a developmental language disorder. Is there a similar sort of uh, set of checkpoints, if you like, with executive function? So not really at all. I think, um, I think people are becoming more aware of the problem, no. but it's not, I wouldn't say it's you know, universally acknowledged that, oh, children's having difficulties, let's check what you know what their executive functions like yeah. so we did um, a few years ago we actually surveyed teachers on their knowledge of executive function skills and how they relate to math performance and we found that teachers do know what these skills are and that they're that they're important but they wouldn't really they weren't that familiar with the term um, executive function so okay they they know that these kind of skills exist that kind of formal knowledge that these skills are important and relate to the classroom I think is is more just starting to come through so I think we're quite a long way from that kind of automatic a child struggling is it their executive function mm. is there a is there a test for it as such can you can you test for these three things and how many times would you have to test them to check that it wasn't you know, really hot like it is when we're doing this interview that, that yeah. was impacting I mean the variables seem quite wide Yes, so there, I mean, there's a whole range of different um, tests that research psychologists and um, practicing psychologists use to measure executive function skills. Um, but because they're, you're trying to tap into the skills that are kind of controlling the brain systems, you've, always, you've got to measure in the context of something else. Mm. So, you know, if you're testing working memory, you've got to test working memory for something. So if a child has if that's you know working memory for numbers if a child also has difficulties with understanding number then they could be failing for that reason as well as the um as well as the the working memory problem so you you do have to be quite careful when 
when using these tests as well. But there are, you know, there are some measures, particularly for working memory, to, to, to get a, a grasp on how good a child's working memory is. It's quite a tricky one to unpick then, it sounds. Like in a classroom of 30 children and you have so much going on anyway, to work out that that child might be having a, a working memory problem or that child's easily distracted is, is, is asking quite a lot of teachers, I guess. It is, definitely. Um, yeah, these children often look like they're not, they're not trying. Um, you know, they're just staring out the window and they're not really bothering, but it, there can be a kind of underlying problem. I guess the more teachers are aware that it, it is a potential problem, then when they spot a child who's struggling but they're not quite sure why, mm. this can be one of the toolkit of things that they go to um, just to see if it is a problem. The, the, you know, the tests that you can do are quite quick. Um, and what sort of interventions can you put in place? I mean, I know we've done some work before about working memory and how brain training games don't tend to, to have as much impact as people might hope on that side. But in terms of executive functions in general, are, are there specific interventions that have been proved to, to work? So no, unfortunately, this is the, the kind of holy grail research. So we know that these skills are really important in the classroom and for learning, um, but actually trying to pinpoint interventions that can work there's still um, there's still a lot of work to be done so like you say with the working memory training we know that these brain training games do improve working memory but that doesn't necessarily transfer to improvements in math for example um, and similarly there aren't that many um, other executive function um, interventions that have been developed other than just kind of practice on the tasks and again these don't seem to transfer that well so there's still a lot of work to be done to try and identify what can work in the classroom um, so one uh, I mean one approach is just generally increasing awareness and you know being aware of the executive function demands and working to memory demands that there are in you know in the classroom so when you're giving children instructions and things um, to take those into account so it might be that when you're first introducing a topic you want to kind of minimize the executive function demands so that you know they're able to easily access the material but then as a child's um, skill level improves then you might want to make that a bit more difficult um, so for example when you first introduce um, want them to learn say subtraction you might want to just do simple subtraction problems but as they get better you might want to intermix that with addition and subtraction and multiplication so they've got to flexibly shift between different things and have different goals in their mind um, but as I say as well? these things aren't been tested. Do they interact so that if your uh, if your um, inhibition control is, is, is poor that does impact your working memory or do, or do they tend to be independent? No they, they will definitely interact with each other so part of part of being able to ignore a distraction is being able to have a strong goal in mind of what you're actually trying to do that will make you less distracted. Um, so these things are definitely, definitely interrelated. And do we know what causes problems in working memory or, or inhibitory control? Um, no. So I guess we're still a, we're still, there's still a lot of research to be done just to unpick kind of the brain. We know roughly what brain systems are involved, but, but how they develop um, the impact of um, the environment on these things as well. So we're still a long way from understanding those causes. Is it another one as well where there's uh, multiple disciplines looking at the same issues? And I know in, with developmental language disorder you have academics coming from various different fields all coming to the same problem and looking at it from different angles. Is it the same with executive functions? Yeah, so you'll have um, 
people looking at it from kind of neuroscientists looking at it from you know what's going on in the brain how do different brain systems support this and then you'll have cognitive psychologists who are looking at, at the kind of thinking processes and specific skills that are taking part i'd say for language disorder there's lots of different theories and people with with different theories whether um whereas within the executive function field i'd say people more work on there's not so much of that you know one big camp has one theory and another big camp has another theory there's it is a bit more kind of slowly working together towards a towards a common understanding. Some agreement. I was listening to a, 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 another podcast actually, this American Life, and they're talking to um, Heckman, who's you know an economist who who's trying to bring together different elements of different disciplines of research to to try and find a common cause. Because his argument was that there's too many. You know, we're all looking at this in isolation. If we talk to each other a bit more, then we we might find that we have a better solution but it sounds like you guys are in looking at executive function might already be there on that well i i mean there's always i guess different angles so i guess one thing in executive function is there's lots of people looking at it from a a kind of um a cognitive abstract point of view and there'll be you know the more we can we can understand that but then we'll need to bring in about you know the role of emotions and and those kind of things as well so there probably is you know multiple viewpoints always help but um yeah i guess we're we're doing the best that we can. <laughs> and in the classroom then, like, because there's so much uncertainty, what, what do you think teachers just need to hold in their mind about executive function, considering the cause of it is still to be determined and the, the interventions are, are still to be determined as such? I think it's an awareness that, A, that it will impact on all areas of, of a child's learning. So if they have problems with these kind of basic building blocks, then that's going to impact on their learning in maths, in um, reading, in terms of just their basic organisation. Um, and that if a child seems to be struggling across the board, then this could be, could be an area um, that has difficulties. And to, to then think about the processes in the classroom um, that could be used to, to minimise that. So um, minimising distractions, only giving short instructions um, and things like that. The, the distraction one's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, like, you, you almost... Does a classroom need to be so controlled and silent uh, and, you know, very clear instructions from the front? Is that style of teaching the best then? Or, or is actually... can By distraction, could that mean something else? Could, could actually calling on their excitement or uh, love of learning be a way of channeling or focusing them? Yeah, I think that's a, a really key question. And um, so... And researchers, because of the... the, nat- the con- controlled nature of the experiments that lots of researchers do they will just be looking at, at one aspect of time so you know are you better learning in a busy classroom or in a quiet classroom mm. um, for example which might lead you to one particular point of view that a quiet classrooms better but of course then you're right you know if you're not building on interests then um, it might be easy to be more easily distracted um, so yeah you can have these very general distractions in terms of the classroom but then you can have very specific distractions so for example if he had a maths problem, a maths word problem, um, so you know Sam has seven sweets and Lucy has five sweets and Jack has ten green sweets, for example, then you can also have distracting information at that kind of very more specific level that's distracting it. Um, I guess it comes back to the idea that in some situations, so when things are new, for example, you might want a very controlled environment so mm-hmm. children can you know, access that initial information, but then you've got to be able to, you know, you've got to be able to um, 
act in a world that is full of distraction. So at some point you do have to learn to be able to ignore those things. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to have that skill. It's interesting, isn't it, as well, that I guess a lot of the kids that are pigeonholders being um, willfully disobedient or willfully disengaged might actually have an executive uh, function problem. I mean, it might not, of course, but there, there's a chance that the, the behaviour is less willful than some may believe it to be. Yeah, exactly. So um, you could, yeah, if you have a problem in um, you know, suppressing impulsive responses, then however much you know that, that you're not supposed to do something, actually, in, in the heat of the moment, you might not physically be able to control your behaviour. Um, so going back to the, um, the studies that I talked about with the three- and four-year-olds where you ask them to um, sort things, objects by colour and then sort them by shape, they can tell you exactly what they've got to do um, but they just can't physically do it. Mm. So you can know you can know what you need to do in a situation, but actually being able to do it can be something very different. How interesting. So, like, uh, I guess, I mean, has anyone done any studies on the exclusions and, and then tested them for executive function? Or is that something that some would be worthwhile looking at? Yeah, I don't know, for example. Um, I don't know if people have done that and looked at kind of rates of, of ADHD diagnosis as well. But, um, yeah, um, some things is that, it can be that in the kind of um, the one-off lab test that we do that's quite kind of removed and abstract, actually you can be okay as well, but in a, in a kind of heated situation where there's lots more going on, um, it might be more difficult as well. And how does it relate to metacognition? I mean, that's the, the big word at the moment in the past six months with the big EEF report coming out. Does metacognition and, and executive function have a relationship at all? Yeah, so there's lots, I'd say this is a big research focus as well at the minute, um, looking at the links between metacognition and executive function. It's not something that, that I'm particularly an expert on, yeah. but I know there's lots of research going on and there are definitely some, some links between the two. Probably slight, because it's, it's all to do with being aware, I guess, yeah. of, your, of your own skills and your own learning. So they, do, they definitely do relate, but they're probably not kind of completely synonymous, I would say. Yeah. And I guess the final question then is, is, is what are you working on at the moment in terms of your research? What are, you, what are you specifically focusing in on? So a lot of my work focuses on the role of executive function skills in children's maths performance. Mm. Um, and in kind of, we know that the two are related, but in really trying to unpick that and understand, well, exactly how is it, does executive function support maths performance? So we know that maths is built up of a, a number of range of different skills. Um, we particularly focus on arithmetic. Um, but to do arithmetic, you need to be able to know your number facts, your number bonds, and your times tables. You need to be able to know how to add and subtract. Um, but you also need some kind of conceptual understanding so that addition is the opposite of subtraction. So we've been looking at how executive functions relate to those different skills, and they seem to be um, much more important for knowing your number facts um, and being able to do procedures than they are for understanding maths concepts. Um, and working memory seems to be particularly important um, for maths performance. But we're also now particularly focusing on um, the role of um, inhibition, so and an, um, an avoiding different types of distraction when you're learning new number facts, so learning new times tables. Um, so that's one strand of our research, and um, that's in collaboration with Camilla Gilmore at Loughborough University. And also with, um, with Camilla and with Sam Johnson at the University of Leicester, um, we've got a big project looking at children who are born prematurely, so before, um, born before 32 weeks of gestation, and looking at their executive function skills and their math skills, because they're known to be weak in both areas. 
So we're looking um, in that group of children to see how we can support their learning and also as an example of how executive functions and maths might be linked. And is this all, um, can people keep up to date with this on, on your blog and on, on your academic page? Yes, so um, there's links from my website both. So the, the maths work is the skills underlying maths project, the SUM project, and the preterm work is um, preterm infant skills in mathematics. So as part of the preterm work, we've actually been developing um, a resource for teachers all about the effects, the long-term effects of preterm birth on later education. So we're just piloting that now, and, and hopefully that will be available next year. Superb. Well, thank you very much for today, Lucy. That was really interesting. All right. Great to talk to you, John. Thank Cheers. you. Audi de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détails sur Audi.fr.